0: Welcome to Larry Reedy's America. Uh, Today's guest is Randy Stoneburner. Uh, Randy owns and operates Randy's Roadhouse in downtown Batesville, Indiana. And uh, Randy, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Larry. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you inviting me. Well, I think we'll have some fun. And
1: uh, Randy, where were you born, went to grade school and high school? Wow, that goes way back. Um, I was born in Saginaw, Michigan. And uh, grade school, I started at Jesse Loomis and proceeded to Heaven Rich when it opened closer to my home. High school, I went to, uh, well, junior high, Weber Junior High in Saginaw. Then we moved to the suburbs, I guess you'd call it. And I went to a school called Douglas MacArthur High School. We were the fighting generals.
0: (laughs) That's an apropos name. (laughs) So... When you were in uh, grade school or high school or both, um, what did
1: you think you wanted to do when you grew up? Wow, um, I don't, I don't even know if I can remember clearly that far back. But I've always had a restaurant thing in my brain. <laughs> really? Did you? When, when you were a teenager, did you ever cook or anything? Um, I worked as a teenager in a pizza restaurant, uh, pizza, uh, I did some pizza restaurant. I did some grocery store work. Um, in high school, I I remember a class that we had where we had to develop a business and, uh, a buddy of mine was also into drafting and such, so he did the blue printing, and I created the concept, and we presented a restaurant to the class. Wow, well, that's great! So that that goes back pretty far in my blood. <laughs> yeah. So after high school, what was next? Well, I worked for a grocery store. It was Union. I, I did very well. Uh, I thought, geez, I might just stay here forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, then one of the stores burnt down, and so people with more seniority, uh, bumped my position, and next thing I knew, I was part-time, and it was like, well, I can't make that work, and I went to work for General Motors in one of the foundries, uh, spent a year at that, and then figured out very quickly that that is not going to be my life's work, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't cut out for that sort of thing. It was well paid, great security, but it just wasn't me. Too repetitious? I don't know if it was that. I, I yeah. I, I I guess it just didn't have a creative outlet right. for me.
0: Right. And so after I always
1: like selling and doing yeah. things. And after General Motors, what? Well, I moved. My parents, right after I got out of high school, moved to Cincinnati for my dad's job. Okay. He was a truck driver. Um, I spent a year, stayed in Saginaw, in love, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) And then it was time to move back home. So I moved to Cincinnati a year later. Did you move with your love? Pardon me? (laughs) Did you move with your love? Uh, no, no, that was long over with. Okay. Uh, I met the love of my life working in a grocery store in Cincinnati.
0: Really?
1: And uh, Which grocery? We worked for a t- small chain called Food Mart. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, up in Western Hills. Yeah. And uh, I met her and love at first sight, as they say. And for whatever reason, she's put up with me and kept me. And so 48 years later, here we are. Yeah. So did you live in the Western Hills area? We did, we've left several times. Um, I worked for a company and I moved from Western Hills to Columbus. I worked uh, corporate offices for Wendy's. Um, We later moved back to Western Hills and then we moved to Louisiana. And I spent some time in Texas and And always back to Cincinnati until we ended up in Indiana.
0: Well, you know, in uh, Western Hills, I I, I grew up in Price Hill on Rutledge Avenue. Okay. Okay. And our first home, uh, well, when we got married, we uh, rented an apartment in Cheviot. And our first home was on... Mimosa Lane, which is off Ralph Avenue, if you Mm -hmm. know where that is. And then our next home before we moved to Indiana was on Candlelight Terrace, which is uh, uh, if you were at the corner of Kneeb Road and Sydney, if you would go one block down towards uh, one block down towards uh, Glenway Avenue, uh, it, it to the right candlelight terrace. So okay. We had, uh, I went to Elder, my wife went to Seton, and, uh, uh, but we built a home here. We started in 75, moved here well, Funny you
1: should say that. Our first apartment as a married couple was in Cheviot. <laughs> really? Where <laughs> yeah. at? Uh, right on Harrison Avenue. Oh, okay. Um, well, do you remember where
0: the tiny cove was? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right behind that on Washington Avenue was our first apartment, so. Back but, then, it was a good neighborhood. Yeah, not so much now. Well, well, the, I'll tell you, Chiviot isn't as bad as Westwood. Westwood is what's really turned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's uh, uh, a lot of a lot of fond memories there. Uh, still, you know, a lot of my friends still, they, they always say most, most people that graduate from elder, uh, I think I said 60 percent, 60 percent of the graduates at Elder are within 15 miles of where they were living when they went to school. Well,
1: I I used to joke that, you know, a lot of Western Hills folks never left the hill. (laughs) They didn't. didn't. The reason I ended up in Western Hills is because my wife was from Western Hills. Yeah, yeah. Well, where did she grow up? Which? She lived on Coronado. Oh, okay. Uh, One of my best friends. And went yeah. to West High. Uh, before that, I think she went to St. Teresa's. But uh, she had a large family, and like I said, we met in the grocery store. And Well, you know, they changed the,
0: you know, West, uh, West High, Western Hills. Uh, you know, it's the Mustangs. Do you know what the original name was? Mm-mm. The Maroons. And so we called them the Western West High Morons.
1: <laughs> so well, I always, they changed the name. <laughs> I've always heard a lot about the elder West High uh, rivalry. Yes. <laughs> but like I said, growing up in Michigan, I was a nonpartisan bystander.
0: Oh, yeah. well, and we and we were... Uh, well, I had great friends from Western Hills. Played baseball against them, and I mean, it's just uh, it's it's a neat place to grow up, but not so neat place to live now. I right. mean, the home that I grew up in, from being a, a kind of a lower middle class nice home, uh, it's like a third world war, third world country now. The there's been a couple murders on the street and everything. It's just it's sickening. But uh, so. When you first, when you left Food Mart, or did you stay with Food Mart when you went to Columbus?
1: No, no. Um, Shortly after we got married, uh, being a young, dumb kid, I quit my job and tried life insurance, finding out that selling insurance in people's homes was not within my comfort zone. Yeah. and I always loved the restaurant business, so I always thought I might own one someday uh, as a kid. And sometimes I just believe things happen just for a reason.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, suddenly I found myself unemployed as a newlywed, feeling pretty much like a failure and couldn't find a job found myself applying to a steak and shake that was under construction thinking I'll wash dishes, I'll do anything, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm failing my wife who was in college and uh, I got turned down well the next ad I had in my hand was for Wendy's as a manager trainee and I went if I can't get a job as a dishwasher I sure can't get a job as a manager trainee started home drove about five miles and said you know what (laughs) To heck with this. I'm going back. What's yeah. one more no? Yeah. And next thing you knew, I was starting a career as a manager, as a manager trainee for Wendy's when they were really quite small. Yeah. Uh, I remember their advertisement used to be burgers made 256 ways. Well, I remember working for them when the 256th restaurant opened. It was a pretty big celebration. Oh, wow. So they were pretty small back
0: yeah,
1: then. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, by the way, what <laughs> insurance company did you work for? I worked for the Forester's. Okay. I still have Forester's insurance. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, it wasn't my cup of tea.
0: Well, see, when I got out of the service, I, I worked for Metropolitan for two and a half years. and And I... Uh, I, I did, actually I did really well, and, uh, I, but I tell you, your business is done at night. You know, I mean, you, you if, if you're selling to homeowners or selling life insurance, uh, I, you know, three, four nights a week, I'd be making appointments during the day, and, Doing, doing the job at night getting the deals done
1: at night well i found it very difficult to be comfortable I'm, i was in my er, very early 20s and i'm sitting across from people with children that are established in their life trying to explain to them why they need this product and they're looking at me like what do you know about it <laughs> well you know <laughs> and i'm going you know they're right i just not comfortable here well,
0: I, I was bad, well when i came, when i started in the in the business um, I was t- I was 22, but I, I had a totally different reaction because uh, I'd always, <laughs> my spiel was I would always go make an appointment with the wife while the husband. So most, back in our day, there was usually a one income family and women were home. So I'd make an appointment and I'd say, you know, uh, do you have any metropolitan life insurance? No, we have. Prudential. I said, well, I'm in the area, and I normally don't do this for anyone else, but if you would like me to review your insurance to make sure you have the right insurance, I'd be glad to do it. So I'd set up an appointment, and I remember about the second, the second or third one that uh, I did this with, God, I was home, I went through this program, a family plan and all this and uh, so yeah, I sold them and he said, uh, you knew coming out here you were gonna sell us insurance, didn't you? I said, Well absolutely. <laughs> he started laughing and he said I said I said but I I said, I also you're gonna get rid of some junk policies that you shouldn't have owned. They're they're overpriced, they're stupid. And you're getting a, you're getting a real deal and met at the time you had trained and you you you'd get the information from the wife and the number of children income that the husband was making and you develop a program for them that's affordable you know, and just uh, I, I, I just do not want to work at night the rest of my life
1: so. right. Well, I wouldn't know how that is. I've been working nights my entire life. Oh, well, yeah, well, I know, but you know that's a little bit different.
0: You know, you're you're in a you're in a business that uh, it, it just that's that's where the money is. That's where the action is. So anyway, when you started, what Wendy's did you start managing?
1: Well, my first spot as a manager trainee was actually the Wendy's in Cheviot, um, and then later downtown. I think my first store as a general manager or head manager was Florence, but then I went through over a couple of years period. I went through eight or nine restaurants. It seemed like every time there was another problem restaurant, I'd be going there to hire to train to clean it up yeah. and about the time I'd get it settled down and of course, I'm telling my wife these owls are cut back as soon as I get it fixed then a supervisor would show up and say, Randy, we need you to go to this one. Uh, But after a few years, uh, I was promoted to Columbus and went into their training department where we were training students for a two-week program uh, from all over the world. Really? Um, We had Europeans, Hawaii, we had a lot of Canada people. Uh, So yeah, everybody was coming for this program and I learned just tremendous amounts there.
0: Mm, that's great. So and so how long were you actually with
1: Wendy's? Um, wow. I was with Wendy's corporate for several years. Um, then I left them to do a venture for some an independent venture for some gentlemen in Cincinnati that lasted less than a year. And then I went to work for a Wendy's franchise for another few years down in Louisiana.
0: So you had pack up and have I'm going close to
1: guess close to eight or nine, ten years with the Wendy's organization. And I always say that's where I grew up. Yeah. So uh, did you have children at that time? Uh, my son was born in Columbus. Okay. And my daughter was born in Louisiana. Wow.
0: What part of Louisiana?
1: We lived in Sulphur, which is just outside of lake charles louisiana on the texas border
0: okay so being at the texas border uh you know uh we've been to new orleans a few times and i mean i love the food there (laughs) i love anything you know i eat when i have eggs i put uh, habanero Uh tabasco on it so i I love the cages
1: they do know how to cook
0: oh man but you know, the, I just just went to the for a minute because we were in this uh, one nice restaurant uh, was, uh, <laughs> and I asked, I think it was called uh, Two Sisters, and I asked this waitress, I said, you know, one thing, I said, this is our second time down here. I said, explain to me the difference in Cajun food and the Creole food? I said, because I can't tell a difference. She said, well, you won't tell any difference here. She said, Creole food, the way, the difference in Cajun and Creole back in the olden days was Creole food was fresh. Everything had to be fresh all the time. And she said, in New Orleans, you don't have to worry whether it's Cajun or Creole. It's just great. She said, if you're out in Louisiana country and you see Cajun food sign out, you might be eating roadkill. <laughs> 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 and when she told me that, I thought, well, I know where we're not going to eat.
1: <laughs> it, it could get interesting. It, it's a great state, but... Um... I longed to get back to this area, but I had some trips late at night going from Natchitoches, Louisiana, back home to Sulfur, driving through the National Forest, where I could swear I heard banjo music in the background. (laughs) Really? Well, you know, but did you get used to the heat there? It never bothered me. Heat heat still doesn't bother me. Of course, I work in a kitchen, so... and I always thought, I had a lot of allergies. Mm-hmm. I always thought they'd be worse down there, but I had less allergy trouble down there than I ever had in Michigan or Ohio, Indiana area. Um, I just think there's something about the tropical humidity that... Stim, well, you know,
0: I I have ter- I had terrible
1: allergies, and,
0: and when the pollen count was high, if I was cutting grass, I mean, my eyes were running, nose, everything, and uh, one of my friends from uh, the podcast cross the line 1524. Uh, in fact, two of the guys that are on that podcast. As a side thing, they're beekeepers. So anyway, Jeff told me, he said, you know, uh, what you might want to do. He said, you're. He said the the things that you're allergic to. Is what our bees are pollinating," he said, and uh, and his uh, buddy Dwayne told me the same thing. He said people that take a teaspoon of the honey a day, said from a beekeeper in this area, he said usually they don't have any allergy problems. I'm thinking, geez, I've been taking allergy pills for years, and that I started last November. Taking a teaspoon of honey a day, I've never had an allergy since. Hmm. Could go out, could be the worst pollen count ever, and nothing bothers
1: me. You know, my daughter has done some of that too. Is that right? Yeah. And she has it worked for her. I think to a large extent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you grow up in this midwestern area, it just kind of goes with the turf. (laughs) Upper respiratory allergies.
0: Yeah, but you know, I,
1: I never. I never
0: dreamed that taking, and because the honey tastes really good. I, I told him after I did this for a month, I said, I don't care if it stops the allergies or not. It's really good to have a teaspoon of honey in the morning. And, uh, but I never dreamed something like that was possible. Hmm. Because I would, you know. Take, Makes sense, though. Yeah, I take nasal uh, pills, anything, to, and, and it just, nothing really worked. It modified it, but I still had terrible allergies, and I had them all my life, except now. So, and I wish I would have known about it 20 years ago. Yeah? Yeah, because now I don't bother cutting grass anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, so Louisiana, how long were you there?
1: Several years. Several years? Yeah. um, So your kids actually were going to school in Louisiana? My son was, my daughter was not yet in school. Okay. Uh, We moved back, uh, I think my son was in the second grade when we moved back. Oh, okay. So, uh, and my daughter's four years younger than him.
0: Okay. Um, So, and when you moved back, did you move back to Cincinnati?
1: Yes, we moved back to Cincinnati. rented a house uh, in Western Hills, of right. course, and uh, about the time my son, my, both my kids were going to Covedale, <clears throat> and uh, about the time my son was going to move on to junior high, we said, no, you know, we're, we're getting out of the city. Yeah. Uh, Good thinking. Gonna, <laughs> no offense, city, but you know we didn't want him going to Dater. Yeah. Uh, so we moved to Hidden Valley and uh, lived there for 28 years. So, Really? Are you still there? No, we moved to Batesville. Fi- uh, my wife and I moved to Batesville, Cindy, and I moved here in 2020. Oh, okay. Um, we bought a condo over in the, I call it the Old People's Subdivision, uh, over off Lammers, the Chateau area there. Oh, okay. So okay. we have one of those duplex condos there, and... It's great because instead of forty minutes to work, I have three. Yep. You know. <laughs> well, you know, uh, friends of ours, uh,
0: they they downsize. Oh, they're both in a nursing home now, but they hit it back there in it. I'm thinking, geez, there's no noise back here. It's like it's like almost like being in the country. Once in a while, you see somebody out for a walk,
1: and uh, I, I, what is it? 55, is that what's Yeah, it's a 55 and older community, 50, yeah. and uh, it's it's very pleasant, a lot of nice people. We are real close to, we're on the first street in, so oh, uh, yeah. we're very close to Lammers, uh, so we'll hear some of the truck traffic and yeah. that, but it doesn't bother me.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's a perfect location. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't, uh, you got George's Pharmacy right
1: there, in,
0: and you're... Close to Kroger, you're close to any place you want to be. In well, Batesville. we've learned
1: that everything's close. Yeah, yeah, it's just, that uh, uh yeah, we're enjoying it, it, we really are. But my daughter lives near here in Pentown, and my son lives here in Batesville or 11 out of 129. So it was like, yeah, we want to be closer to the kids. Yeah. And. For years, my wife, as a nurse, was working in Cincinnati. I was working out here. We split the difference. Where did she she work in Cincinnati? uh, Her last stint was with a um, rheumatology group uh, in Fairfield, and she really loved that. Mm -hmm. Um, But she retired a couple years back or a few years back, and um, it was just time, time to move.
0: Well, Nancy was was an RN, and uh, she... uh, uh, When she was seven months pregnant, that was the end of her nursing career. So we were, uh, she only, well, we were married a year when our first child came. And when we had uh, uh, three going to college, she says, you think I should go back to work? And I said, well, I said, I can handle it, but I said, it might crimp our retirement plans a little bit. She said, well, I think I want to go back to work. So she took a refresher course at Deaconess and uh, went to work at
1: Margaret Mary and just... Uh, well, Cindy continued to work right up to retirement. Um, once I left corporate life, she took care of us so I could go play restaurant and bar owner. Yeah, <laughs> Get that off the ground. So. Well,
0: when when did you first start to think, like, when you moved back to Cincinnati, uh, were you still with Wendy's and
1: I no, just no. Uh, I came back to Cincinnati and I went to work for a, a company called Restaurant Management Incorporated uh, we had a lot of Arby's um, well they got the ones in Batesville yes that's yes. how I was yeah. that's the only familiarity I had with Batesville <laughs> yeah um, I remember overseeing part of the opening back in 1989 mm-hmm. and uh so I'd been in and out of Baseville for 10 years, Okay. and embarrassingly, I have to say, I'd never been past the exit. I didn't know where the Sherman was. I didn't know where Hill-Rom was, because mm-hmm. um, I came here, did whatever I had to do, and then I left and went somewhere else, and we were so spread out from Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, Macon, Georgia, Columbus, Georgia, yeah. Chattanooga. Um, so, I kind of ended up here by accident.
0: <laughs> okay, so when did you first start thinking about I, I want to own a restaurant?
1: Well, you know, it was a it was a dream that I had in my youth, youth. yeah. But I mean, and young adult life, and that dream kind of faded away. I was doing well in corporate life, um, I, I, I had reached a pretty high level, and. Money was pretty good, and I thought, you know, this just this is where it's at, you know. Then one point, that changed, and it was time to quit, time to leave. So I gave them several weeks' notice, and uh, they exiled me and said, just go out to Batesville and hang out, and you don't mess with us, we won't mess with you. And I said, okay, you want to pay me this much to go run Slicer in Batesville, I will. And... Magically, I found the business I ended up owning. <laughs>
0: so, that was Cheers, and I, I don't remember...
1: When st- I bought it, it was a place called Woodwind's Cafe.
0: Oh, really?
1: And Backstreet.
0: <clears throat> okay, I, yeah, I remember. Well, Backstreet, didn't it start out as Cheers and...
1: Cheers preceded that, yes.
0: Yes, and and that was how Backstreet got
1: started with that Cheers, right? No, uh, Backstreet was a part of Woodwinds. I I think what happened was the the person who owned it before I did, um, I'm only going on stories I heard, but kind of closed the bar down and tried to be just a restaurant. And uh, when he reopened it, it was the Backstreet. I got it. Okay. So that changed rather quickly for me because when I got here and started meeting people, I'd meet people and they'd say, well, where are you at? And I'd say, well, I own Woodwind's Cafe in Backstreet. And they'd go, well, you know, I've eaten at that Woodwind's place or I've I've been into that Backstreet place, but I've never been in the other one. And I kept going, through the same place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so finally I settled it down to just Woodwind's and called the showroom Backstreet. Uh, left it that way for a few years till I figured out where we were taking it, and then became Randy's Roadhouse.
0: Okay, so, and uh, again, we're this isn't a visual thing. So, uh, is you have a nice little outside area that uh, that's only been what five years or so that you developed the outside area? Oh
1: no, it's been there from the beginning. Oh,
0: was it? Be- I can't remember. Yeah, that. it was I-
1: always there. Uh, We've made a lot of changes to yeah. it over the years, yeah. um, but it was always there. One of my favorite places, and unfortunately, we have not been using it for table service now for two years. Yeah. But that's largely due to staffing issues. Yeah, sure. Um, but it's, it's one of my favorite things is to sit outdoors there with the plants and yeah. the fresh air. Yeah, so does anyone take their
0: drinks out there?
1: Yeah, a lot of people will take their drinks out there, and... For the smokers, that's a place for them to yeah. escape to. Yeah. Uh, so you know you you'll get a lot of that. Uh, we just don't have table service out right. there. Right. So,
0: and in the the restaurant, I mean, it's really neat because you got a nice sized bar, got some craft beer, uh, whiskey, wine, just you know normal bar stuff, and you got tables and booths and but what in your There's no back. You don't
1: use the back area anymore at all, do you? Not right now. Uh, We did one show there for our 25th anniversary. Uh, We used to do a lot of parties and things like that, and we hope to again one day. But staffing is really a constraint to that right now.
0: Well, the the back. How how many? If when you did a private party,
1: how many people did the back area hold? Oh, jeez. I think it depends on what you're trying to do with it. Okay. Uh, I know for musical shows, we've had 250 people back there. Whoa. That's kind of shoulder to shoulder, yeah. uh, standing room only. Uh, the, the whole building is rated at 272, I think, right. Yeah. Uh, but you got the patio. But everything you do kind of spreads out anyway. Yeah. So. But we've done parties of 50 or 80 people, buffets, different things, but like I said, right now that's, we kind of turned that kind of business away because frankly, if I don't feel that I can do a good job with it, I don't want it. Right. Because I don't want to, my name's on the front of the building, I don't want it looks bad. Do, do you think it's ever gonna get back to
0: normal where people are gonna to wanna to work as servers in a restaurant?
1: I don't know, and it's not even just the restaurant industry. Oh, it's everything. Um, we talked to so many other types of business, and they all have the same tale. They just can't get enough employees to do the job, and it's just a different time. Do, do you think in part, now like,
0: and, and this is kind of my theory, uh, when Nancy and I got married, everybody that we knew, all our friends once they start having kids it was a one-income family so you have and it was quite a while before we even had two cars you know it's it was just that's the way it was today almost everyone all my children it's two-income family and it almost has to be but I think what goes along with that they they don't have to worry about their kid working <laughs> and uh, and um, if uh, you know I, I well I had classic it used to be a uh, pizza king I had classic pizza for a number of years and so uh, my one son who was running it uh, said I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life, but this isn't it. And uh it it was all about help. And you know, like a kid come in and say, I can't work Friday you know, on a Thursday I'm I got a date. So why don't may maybe replace it. Yeah, it's normal. I quit. I just quit. Yeah, yeah. Take your time out. Yeah. So anyway on this do you, do you think that the kids are just spoiled to the point uh, because of the two-income family that they really don't have to work, they're not going to miss a meal, or they're still going to be able to buy their gym shoes and uh, get a, get an allowance, or
1: do you think I'm off base on that? I Maybe not totally. uh um. I think there are still young people that want to work. You see them in other restaurants. You see them in Kroger's. Uh, I I just think every household's different, Mm -hmm. and it depends on the values that that you have with your kids. Uh, You know, my kids, I always let them have a lot of things, but they always had to do something for a lot of it. You know, there was... There was not just an allowance for the sake of an allowance, you know. If you, you, you might have that they were probably overpaid for cutting grass. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but sure. they learned that you, you do to get. Yeah. And I think there has been a societal change yeah. that not everybody, but a lot of people have just missed that boat. Uh, on the other hand, I think the need for employer employees is far greater there's more places there's more jobs um and why we took such a hit after covid is a mystery to me because there was already shortages it was already difficult to hire but not like this yes and for some reason once covid hit and all the giveaways and all the changes Something drastically changed I don't know what to blame But something changed yeah. Well you know It
0: seems like you know Most of your high end restaurants In Cincinnati and Indianapolis they don't, they don't have problems Because the tips are really Really pretty good uh, the, the thing that That I've always felt I started working Delivering papers when I was 10 years old and the experience you get working, whether you're dealing with people or just hard work, it, as a young person goes on to your work ethic and later on. Oh, life.
1: absolutely. As a youngster, I actually had an ice cream cart. We okay. walked down the yeah. street dinging the bells, yeah. and people yeah. came out and bought your ice cream bars. Yeah. And, uh, and I think,
0: I, I think whether a kid has to work or not, And unless he's pursuing something that he's taking summer classes or uh, doing something other
1: than, you know, just screwing around. Well, where I think, Larry, where I think we have a a, a greater issue in our society right now is that it's not a kid issue. If it was, geez, all the high school kids don't work anymore. Oh, well, they... they, they, uh, You'd you'd be able to isolate that down, but there's people in every age group that just yeah. Why should I do that? You yeah. know, I I don't know what's going on. There has to there's a lot of people in this country.
0: Oh, three hundred fifty million. Uh,
1: <laughs> if if they wanted to work, I'm pretty sure they would. You know, I know. I know. I, I know one thing that changed even prior to COVID for us in our business, turnover is always pretty high. Yeah. And we were fortunate that we were always able to keep a core group of people, people that were loyal and did great work and we tried to take care of them the best we could. And I had people that stayed with me for eight, 10 years. Um, but then you always had people coming in and out the door around them, but you could always hold that together because you had a good solid core. Well, people like that, there were a lot of new jobs opened up several years back. Jobs with benefits, jobs higher paid, time, paid time off. So those kind of people gravitated to that, which with my blessing, of course, because it's like, yeah. go, you can't Absolutely. pass that up. Yeah. But the people that maybe were left, some of them were the same ones that couldn't hire before that. Yes. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that
0: was created because of COVID was working at home. And
1: there's a lot of people that still work at home. And I think that's going to be a real negative for a lot of folks as corporations figure out why did we need all these people? (laughs) Why did we need all this office space? I think it's going to cost some people some jobs, um, which is sad. Well, I I think when you, uh, you know, since with
0: the... With Zoom and different things like that where it's cut back on travel. Uh, my my son, one son's in a high-powered job. He goes to some meetings, but there's an awful lot of these Zoom meetings that take place where you don't have to
1: travel that much. Uh, Companies don't. You stop. know, I, I'm old and I'm a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And I miss uh, some of the progress in my mind has not been progress. I miss the personal touch. I oh, miss I social, miss customer service. I miss calling someplace seeking information, yeah. and being able to get a person on the phone that I can work with. And when I meet with people, I want to meet face to face. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I uh, over the phone on Zoom. It's not the same feel. You can't read the same way, and I think this that we as, as a nation, I think our personal touch is disappearing, yeah. and I think it's sad. And I think a lot of people are going to lose by it because you're already seeing people that I think interpersonal relationship skills are disappearing. Absolutely. And, and I and I truthfully think it's very sad. Yeah. Well, you know, this the
0: thing is. <laughs> Uh, it it used to be kind of nice uh, to go shopping in a shopping mall. With Amazon and all the other people joining in, I I can't remember the last time we we went to Kenwood Mall or someplace. So we'll shop locally if we need something. Uh, in fact, I like I've got a new mini card coming today. Uh, I ordered it yesterday on Amazon. It'll be here today. So, it, you know, it, that kind of convenience, and, uh, It can be nice. It can be, well, especially as you get older. But the young people, uh, they're, they're missing out on a lot. And, uh, when we were growing up again, uh, as we're starting to raise a young family, uh, we didn't have the money to go out all the time to restaurants and that. We had a group of friends take turns going to each other's home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, throw some hamburgers and dogs on a grill. Kids would come. Sometimes kids wouldn't come. And I, but I think some of the guys and women, some, some of the people in their fifties are getting back to that kind of stuff. And they're not. They're they're. Uh, They're not going out, but but if they're not eating in restaurants, they they pick up. Do you still
1: do a lot of carry-out business? We do a pretty fair amount of carry-out business. It varies by the day, Uh, but it really took an uptick during the shutdowns. And actually, I think it made people aware that we have that ability. So it's still going very strong, and some days it's real strong. But uh, it's just a strange world. And you know, most people come in and they're pleasant, they understand the staffing situations everywhere, Uh, they're tolerant, they're just excited that somebody smiles at them and cares. Absolutely. But there are other people that come in and it's like they're clueless. They, you know, what do you mean you can't give me a table for a party of 25. (laughs) And it's like, do you see a table for 25? I mean, I hate to be rude, because this is the line of work I'm in, and I want to welcome everybody, but really you walked in the door with a party of 15 or 20, and you expect that I'm just supposed to find a magical way to make that work for you? Or you should say, well, which one of you
0: are going to be my helper cook? And which two, you're going to be my helper
1: waitresses. Well, <laughs> even, even our patio has not been open for table service. Our back room, we have not used since COVID, basically. Yeah. And I'll have somebody say, well, well, can't we just have the back room? Oh, my God. It hasn't been open in three years. You uh, know, we have things stored there. We have old equipment yeah, there. Yeah, we sure. had, We're not using it. It's not set up for service. And even if it was... Yeah. There's four of us here. Yeah. There's nobody to go back there and wait on you. Uh-huh. And like I said, it it's a very small number, but some people just don't get it. And uh-huh. I see the same thing happen when I go elsewhere, whether it's the grocery store or the department store. You've you got a chance of running into that person that's stomping their feet and throwing a fit because the store or the personnel cannot accommodate them the way they want it to yeah. be. Well sorry folks we didn't make this happen yeah. we didn't wish for this we don't like it
0: well you know the
1: we're just doing the best we can
0: yeah. the funny thing is uh well we we buy we go to the village store mostly but sometimes we have to go to Kroger and I can remember a busy Dan Kroger and I was in there and I had a I only had maybe a half dozen or ten things in a cart and uh Girl says, you want to use our self-checkout? I said, you know this is going to put you out of work. I said, the self-checkout thing. I said, so I'm going to stay in line. And the thing is, Kroger just announced a total store. I just read that. In Tennessee? Yeah. No checkout lines, everything. No bagger. You have to go through there.
1: Bag your own groceries and check out yourself. Well, And, you know, I frequent them and always will, I'm sure. Uh, and I'm, far be it for me to judge anybody. I have my own mistakes and shortcomings. But it really irritates me when I go and you've only got three registers open with a line of people at all yep. of them. You have lines at the self-checkout and it's moving slowly. But it took me twice as long to get through your store as I dodge all your... Pick and pull carts. Yep, and the pick and pull people are not cognizant of moving out of the way not tra- or saying not or, well, And no. again, I'm not trying to judge, but yeah. it's like really, where is the customer service yeah. these days? See,
0: that's what we, we, the village store, with their meats and just the service and the cleanliness. Uh, you might pay a few pennies more for some things. Some things are a lot cheaper, so uh, we just go there all the time. And but. I, and I like I, I've always liked Kroger, uh, even though as a kid I worked for A.M.P. But you know this—it's like McDonald's. They—they they actually can go full automation in a restaurant. Actually, they have one
1: or two people, and that's it. They—they've they've got robots to do everything. Well, I've been to a lot of sit-down restaurants, chain restaurants as a customer and they now have the kiosk on the table where you can order from your kiosk then you can pay on your kiosk and it's like I don't like it that's you know I go to again I'm a dinosaur I go out for the same reason my customers come out if I wanted that I'd have stayed home yeah Yeah. I'm going out to treat myself I want to be waited on by a friendly individual and going back to my Wendy's day Dave Thomas founder of Wendy's used to say we're just going to do ordinary things extraordinarily well and nothing is more important than quality service and cleanliness and it was like where is that today I I, I miss it I do well you know I remember the first time I went
0: to Wendy's and they got so busy, they couldn't continue this. But you would stand in line. They'd make the burgers in front of you. Take the buns, put it on the grill, put the burgers, the square burgers, on however you want to double, triple, whatever. And But it was all done while you're waiting, and nobody seemed to care. But then when they really started getting real, real busy, I mean, they, you just can't
1: do that. Yeah. Well, actually, they could. Do you think they really <laughs> they, they, could? All of the chains seem to have changed their concept a little bit, and got away from speed being an issue. Yeah. But the way they did things was an assembly line technique. It's it's yeah. something I use to this day in my own operations, um, and and it just makes things smooth and quick, and you can change gears, uh, but. So many places have changed so much, both fast foods and, you know, sit down both.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, when they, they didn't last long because they, uh, they tried to grow too fast. Did you ever go to a
1: Lums restaurant? To what? Lums. Yes, I used to love Lums. I did too. With the dogs soaked in the beer. The uh, dogs soaked in the beer. Beer-steamed beer, beer hot dogs. And... and that roast beef that was just constantly
0: being cut—I I, I mean, it—it it was a neat,
1: inexpensive place to get quality. Used food. to be one in Western Hills. Yep. Yep. Right. First night I met my wife. First place we went. It was well, yeah. Down there and had fried mushrooms and a beer. <laughs> yep. And and you know the the nice thing, but see, there's a a mistake.
0: They want to grow too fast. And then they, hit, um, they were, had some pl- places, when they moved south, didn't go over too well. And they, had, they were trying to let Peter pay
1: Paul, because it, right. they just tried to grow too. Fast. I ended up a mom and pop kind mm. of a joint, and I loved that, because um, I don't answer to anyone right. except for my wife. Yeah. Um, but I've long held this theory about all the chains the thing that destroys business in this country is the stock market. Oh. Because the minute they go on the stock exchange, the minute they start selling stocks and are accountable to investors, now that dividend and the increase in the price of stock is what dictates everything. So when you have your chains and they're building four or 500 stores a year, Revenue keeps going up and everybody's happy. But when you hit hard times like we're in now with high interest rates yeah. and inflation and the powers that be say, oh, we got to slow that down. We can't build four or five hundred stores this year. Now you got to find new ways. So you start changing your concept. You make the product smaller or lower quality. You change the service. You get rid of good selling products and go to something else. And You'll invest fortunes, this drives me crazy with the chains, they'll invest fortunes, remodeling, new menu items, crazy expensive national advertising campaigns, and nobody goes in their store and says, maybe we how to learn how to hell to take care of a customer. Well, you know, (laughs) speaking of corporations,
0: have you ever seen a Tesla and like Tesla, what? Ad on television. No. Ad, they don't advertise. <laughs> their advertising is their product, and people go on to YouTube bringing reviews on it. That's, that's their advertising. They don't advertise. I, General Motors, eventually they're all going to sign up. They've got these electric charging stations all over the country. General Motors is going to use them. Uh, I think Nissan. Everybody wants to use them. Well, they got to buy the adapter because it's a, uh, you know, it's a Tesla exclusive. And so, there, instead of having a convenience for his automobiles, he's built another billion-dollar business because all these people are going to have to pay him to use that, but they don't have to build an infrastructure. Right. And we got, I just got installed a few days ago. I waited two years for Space Link. Our internet reception out here with AT&T, uh, I think was on a good day, I might get 15 or 16 megs per second on a download. Bad day, about seven. Uh, I got Starlink. I had to wait two years for it. Uh, I'm getting about anywhere between 90 and 180 megs per second, just, you know, lightning fast. Now, Tesla, they have, right now, they have 4,200 satellites in the sky. In five years worldwide, they expect to have Forty some thousand, and wow! And this guy, I think he's from another planet. I mean, he's a genius. He is. And and the thing is, uh, and I read this. My son, he asked me, "Well, what happens when the satellites die?" I said, "It's really interesting because in five years, they basically disintegrate into small pieces in space." So, I mean, the guy. The guy thinks of everything, but can you imagine the amount of money that Toyota, GM, Ford, they spend on TV advertising, Super Bowl ads, and that. Tesla doesn't spend any money on advertising. <laughs> and and he's got now the number one selling car in the world. So, you know, and And some of the expenditures are just stupid, you know. Are just. I mean, they're just dumb. Some of the corporations and money that they spend. How how do you ever get returns on? And and these dumb insurance company ads. I mean, they're they're probably the most boring thing to ever watch on television. But right now, it's all up to the agent. They. You know, who cares whether it's Liberty Mutual or whoever? It's going to be, what can you do for me? And right. uh, you got a good agent that maybe has uh, 15 or 16 different companies he can go through. He'll get you the best deal. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't get it. I, I never will. But anyway, we, we've been on for about uh, 55 minutes. Uh, any words of wisdom for
1: anybody to close out? No, I can't think of anything. I don't have the pedigree and uh, success of some of your guests and yourself, but oh, I've enjoyed too. listening to them and I'm really grateful and well, appreciative well, that you invited me on.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I, I'll tell you, you know, I, I know I hit to give up a lot being a small business owner and you've hit to give up a lot. Everybody does. But it's, it's pretty gratifying that Whatever you've done, you've done on your own. And you, it's not somebody dictating or having a meeting to have a meeting before you make any kind of decision. Uh, you're in the catbird seat. You're making the right
1: decisions. It, 26 years of business, you're doing something right. So. Well, I used to say that uh, at least I got to go to work every. In a place where I like my boss, <laughs> then I figured out that there's a lot of days I don't like him at all. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, it, it's it,
0: it's fun. It's a rewarding thing. I, I missed a a lot of games, a lot of things for the kids, but I I was I was spread out all over. Uh, one time, at one time in Cincinnati, I had uh, 17 different businesses and 200 people working for me, and I had. One business in Cleveland, one in Indy, one in, in some in Cincinnati. It just, uh, uh, but it, it all worked out because I got to retire kind of early and uh, been fortunate enough to have the
1: longevity. But gene. you're not really retired, are you?
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm retired from making money.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Uh,
0: the podca- podcast takes a lot of time and. The two books that I've written, I wrote one at 80, one at 82. Uh, they both took me four and a half months, five hours a day at a computer. And if I ever write another book, I hope something falls out of the sky and hits me. <laughs> it's hard, hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And uh, but I, uh, the podcasting. Uh, I, I got to tell you this, I might have mentioned this on another podcast, but the way I got into this, uh, I went to the Batesville liquor store for a tasting. And Mike Gardner, Mike and Terry Gardner owned it. And Mike came up and said, boy, I'm glad you're here. I said, why? I said, well, he says, you yeah, we got a podcast. Cross Line 1524's got a podcast. I said, oh, that's nice. No, he says, you're the guest. I said, well. I didn't know anything about that. Well, he said, you know now. Get up there. There you so, go. So I was their guest three times, and I thought, you know what? I, I think I can do this. I don't know if anybody's going to listen to it, but I think I can do this. And um, by, let's see, I, my first podcast was September 14th. And by September 14th, my first year... I think I will have published then I, I'm at I'm at 90 now so I'll probably be at about 115 or 120 published episodes so Michael. and and I'm, I'm having fun with it but this little instrument here this Broadcaster Pro uh big learning curve for this old boy
1: <laughs> always is yeah
0: cause this thing here you know th- this is uh what, maybe a foot square? I mean, this used to take up something like this in a broadcasting studio, take up a 10-foot table. And uh, and uh, this uh, Sunday, or no, I'm sorry, this Saturday from 4 to 7, uh liquor store has a... Uh, Field of Dreams, founder of Field of Dreams Bourbon. He's going to be there. Right. Well, I'm going to be doing a podcast, a remote oh, podcast good. there, and uh, and that should be fun because he's a former Major League pitcher, and Dave Miley's going to be there. Who's a former Reds right. manager, and Dyer Miller, Batesville boy, had a big time, big league career.
1: So uh, it it should be interesting. Yeah. And, Batesville liquor has been a, a real boost to the downtown oh, area oh I mean I got they've I, done a great job
0: some of my friends from Cincinnati
1: and down here buy all their booze right yeah it's
0: a big it's a my problem is i i I drink about four ounces of whiskey every night and I just love the different ones and i I've got about three hundred bottles. <laughs>
1: That ought to last you for a minute.
0: Yeah. Well, I I told my kids, I said, if it's ever a thing that I go to a doctor and he says, you got about six months. I said, well, I better get going because I'm drinking all the expensive whiskey I have. (laughs) I'll leave the kids the cheap stuff. (laughs) So... Anyway, well, we'll wrap it up. I'm going to wrap it up with uh, the— uh, Larry, it's been fun, and I, it's a great time, and yeah. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, it was a pleasure having you. Uh, let's, let's get with the uh, national anthem here. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed this podcast. And God bless you. God bless the United States of America. And I'll talk to you on the next podcast.